Welcome to the Crafty Ass Female Podcast, an audio show that talks about the resourceful ways we women are living our lives and the crafty projects we create in between. We are your hosts, Amanda Zampelli and Kristen Tweedale, and we believe you are a capable badass who already has all the tools you need to make beautiful things and make beautiful things happen. We're just here to remind you. Hi guys, thanks for tuning in. It's Amanda and Kristen here, and these two episodes of Crafty Ass Female will be about us and our creative stories thus far, so you'll be able to listen to future episodes with a little context of kind of where we're coming from. We thought this was important for you to hear, um, that it was important for you to hear our stories straight from our mouths, because knowing our point of view from the beginning will give you a better idea of kind of what we'll both most likely bring to the podcast. And what's kind of cool is that Kristen and I met a long time ago, but we're not like besties. So I've kind of always appreciated your work, Kristen, from like afar over the internet and social media. But in jumping into this podcast together, like we'll be learning each other together and vice versa and like kind of hearing each other as listeners are hearing to us too. I know. I'm so excited. Yeah. So I think that'll be like an interesting perspective. I think so too. So, yeah, so without further ado, I'll, I guess I can go first and kind of jump into my story and we'll just get started. It's kind of long. <laughs> okay, so I wanted to start first kind of just with my name, where if you see me online, um, I'm Amanda. You can call, if you see me on the street, you can call me that. But I go by Amanda Rosampelli as like my online identity um, just because when I, after graphic design school, it kind of felt like really who I was. I always say, because my one grandmother's named Amanda, the other one's named Rose. And I feel like all these big dreams I have and all these goals I strive for, like they're a big part of it. So one of them's still alive, one of them passed away, but I feel like there's such an integral part of me and the woman I am that is kind of important to honor them in my online identity and kind of any creative uh, thing I embark on. So that's kind of the little history behind why I use my middle name in there as well. Um, and then if you go to my website, amandarosampelli.com, um, you'll see my little about me blurb. And what it reads is that I'm a graphic designer and lifestyle blogger from Queens, New York, and that I was born to create art people can use. And I'm currently working on a way I can get paid to do this for the rest of my life. So to sum me up right now, those two sentences are it. However, you know, that's what my journey's materialized into today. But in thinking back to where this journey started, just the easiest thing I could say is that I've always been a creative kid. So my mom just had us do crafts. She always took us to the art store. I was the friend in the group that came up with pretend scenarios for us to act out. Like English and art were my favorite subjects because I love finding hidden meaning in the things I read. I loved writing and drawing. I love the intersection of the two. So yeah, it's just, I've always just been this creative kid. I was always this forward thinking, like inventive child. And so this is me just through elementary school with the group of friends I grew up with. We entertained ourselves. We played sports in between and there was no like, you know, like internet or social media really. So it was just our imaginations and what we could do with what was kind of put in our hands. And at that time it was Crayola markers, right? Like we didn't have phones. Which I think is such an integral part of like growing up for us. Um, Yeah, but then the transition from all the familiarity of my childhood into the complete newness of high school 
with this new group of kids, new environment and all that. Um, it was like a jolt to my system, but I always thrived in school um, because I'm awesome at doing what I'm told to do. I think that's like, I don't know, just being rebellious and questioning authority is not my knee-jerk reaction to anything. So I follow directions really well. I thrive in a structured environment and that's all high school or like any school really um, is just stay in line and learn this stuff. And I can do that. So <laughs> I was always good in school, but it's important to note that, that, um, at this time in my journey, like around high school, I got my first job ever at my local YMCA teaching little kids how to swim. So I just, that was my life in high school. Just stayed out of trouble, got good grades. I graduated salutatorian of my class in June, 2002. So just like good student and working at the YMCA and working with kids and knew I love that. But some important things to note around this time in high school. So my senior year of high school was the year that 9-11 happened, right? So that was kind of catastrophic in a lot of ways. And I'm from New York and it happened, you know, 40 minutes away from where I went to school and where we lived. Um, later on my senior year, my mom had a mental and emotional breakdown that following spring. So at this point, like in high school, I was this creative kid who always had this layer of like effort and decoration and everything that I did in my work and stuff. Um, and I was always being told by everyone, you're so creative, you know, that's so creative, but no one really ever opened me up to what that could do or mean and all this stuff. And then here comes 9-11, here comes, you know, this thing that my mom went through and I was seeing all these authority figures and like actual structures come crashing down that I thought was like always where you look, you know, physically and like my mom and emotionally, like these pillars that were held up were just like crashing down around me and then came college, right? So high school and school thus far always clicked with the kind of person I am, but then with high school and never having anyone to use as an example, being, you know, the oldest kid in my family and oldest on one of my parents' sides. I never really saw what college was supposed to look like. And then reality rocked with, you know, these authority figures that I would go to. Um, There was no authority in college. College was so up to me. So I didn't know, like, I didn't know what half the majors meant, like marketing, like, what is that? Like the only marketing to me, like market just meant like a grocery store, like just things now, <laughs> things now looking back that I would have studied knowing what I know now. Like I had no idea about when I was 18, like going into college. So like business, I always thought was like men in suits and Wall Street, like just didn't get all that business encompassed. And like now trying to start a business and what it, it's just crazy to think that I would have benefited from classes then but just really having no idea what was up from down and left from right in college. But then like one time I remember just like trying to figure it out and saying to my mom, we were in the kitchen and I'm like, mom, what about graphic design? Like from what I know about that, like it sounds like I'd like it, like graphic design. And my mother just being like, you know, very supportive and love her dearly, but she's a typical Italian mom that anything that doesn't sound streamlined and that she knows about, she's going to kind of cut down. So I said, Ma, how about graphic design? And in her, you know, Queen's Italian way, just said, 
what do you want to sit in front of a computer all day? Is that what you want to do? Like with that heavy New York accent. And I was just like, I guess not. Right. Like that one line from my mother just like detoured that part of what I thought I could like. Right. So I didn't go into graphic design in school and all that, that kind of got um, pushed back. So it's just so funny, like what you let influence, you know, your choices and decisions. But like I said, like I was just conditioned to listening to older authority figures. Like I was just not used to ever tapping into inside what I felt like I knew. Um, yeah. So my first two year of college was just taking core classes I needed no matter what. Um, I was still working at the YMCA through all this time, um, teaching little kids. Then I kind of was promoted to working with special needs kids, um, in the pool and teaching them how to swim. I spent two summers, um, as a camp counselor and I absolutely loved that job. That was like one of the jobs. I can't really, really pinpoint why, but I, I love that it wasn't in a classroom and that I was just interacting with kids, like basically being their mother for the day. And I'm very maternal and I know that I, well, I hope to one day have kids. And I think that's what that period was, just like a little taste of what one day that would be like. So I just love that job. But working with kids was always what I did. That's always in the beginning what I was getting paid to do. Um, and then after two years of college and just taking the stuff I needed to take, it came time to declare a major and teaching was always ringing in my ears because of this experience with working with kids and almost all the female family members in my life were in the education system, either a teacher for years and years and years, or my aunt was an assistant principal and just, it seemed fitting for me, but like I always had this gut feeling in my first few years of college that, um, don't commit to teaching. Like it was this weird, like inner voice that always wanted me to steer away from going into teaching. I think it's because I knew it would always be there and it was like a safe bet and it wasn't solely what my body was telling me to go into. So I was like, no, I'm not going to go into that because it'll always be there and I'll try something else. And, um, what I decided to major in was film production. I was like toying with the idea of like, maybe I'd be a documentary filmmaker and I love to write. So I thought about maybe I'd be a screenwriter or something like that. So I ended up, um, spending the last two years of my undergrad, um, in film classes and writing classes. I graduated with a bachelor's in film production, creative writing. And then like out of college, I, I had an internship, for a few months with like a post-production studio and like every Friday, it wasn't paid every Friday for a few months in New York. I'd go to New York city on the train, just hang out in the studio, watch them color correct, like TV shows and edit and all that stuff. I one time had an internship with like this magazine that highlighted like hip hop culture and like radio and that only lasted a few months. Um, and all she had me, it was no real practical knowledge. I never sat with anyone as they wrote or saw how the layouts came together. It was that typical, like, get coffee and make runs kind of internship. So it didn't last very long. But um, at one time I was on this run and I was stopped by, like, a gypsy, homeless, like, psychic medium person. And they just looked at me on one of these runs and was like, California will be important to you one day. Like, that'll mean something to you one day. I was like, oh, my God, okay. <laughs> like, and it's funny because I think I always remember that and that ties back into the story later. But, like, all these little kind of checkpoints of, like, 
I had no idea what I was doing. I was doing my my best in the moment, you know, just following what I thought was right. But I really had no idea. I really legit had no idea where my life was headed. Um, None of these experiences ever felt like who I was. I didn't know what to do with this film major. I was, I felt like I was close, like a puzzle piece that looked like it could fit. But when you try to push it in the space, like it didn't exactly line up. Like that's kind of what was Mm -hmm. happening. But I knew this creative, like collaborative, like video and writing, like that was right. Like, so it's funny what I do now and blogging now and what Instagram has become and making promotional videos, like all that was that. Totally. It's just, yeah. It's just like kind of manifested into that now. Um, yeah, but because none of that was clicking and I needed to make money somehow, I started waitressing. So I, you know, as waitressing for me has always been that it's always been there. It's always something I could leave once I left the restaurant and it made good money at the time. So I started waitressing at my local cheesecake factory. This was like 2005, 2006. I got my first real boyfriend, met him there while waitressing. I waitressed for about two years. I was 22, 23, trying to figure out what was next. I really had nothing. Like I, I couldn't form. I had no examples. I had no one sending me out, you know, no one's fostering any kind of experience. No one was educating me on my options. No one was allowing me to go out in the world and explore what was available. Um, I felt like maybe that was my responsibility, but nobody told me that was my responsibility. And I was just so used to people telling me what I needed to do. And I can do that. If you tell me what you got need me to do, I'm a great student. I can learn it really quickly, work really hard and execute. But when it came to my own intuition, I just had nothing. So here I was, 23, 24 years old, late bloomer, and the only thing, my underdeveloped, premature brain at 23 or 24, which, side note, can we just say, like, when I hear a 23 or 24-year-old is getting married, like, (laughs) I'm just like, you know, power to you, honey, but I was such a lost 23-year-old that that concept is so foreign to me. Like, Um, I don't know how you feel about that. (laughs) I I made a lot of huge life changes at 23 like 23 was a huge 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 year for me and uh it changed my life completely so wow yeah no i uh i could not possibly imagine making all of my you know stop finalize life decisions at 22 or 23 because I certainly would not be here today talking to you. For sure. I mean, that's, that's just my experience. I was such a lost uh-uh. 20-something. Like, my whole 20s was just lost. So just when I say I was a lost 20-something, I mean at 20, at 21, at 22, at 23. <laughs> like, every 20, I was just lost and confused. And But it's specifically around then. But so here I was, like, you attend college at that age, and you're expected to, like, make these decisions. But... To me then, I was very underdeveloped, like I just felt. And the only thing that that brain of mine came up with was, well, teaching. You know, you put it off this long and nothing else is clicking and you knew it was always going to be there. Let's go into teaching. So I thought it was a solid fallback. It was a job I knew I'd be good at based on, you know, all the paying jobs I had working with kids. Um, But to be real, most of us crafty-ass females are good at a lot of things that we don't want to do every day. Like I cannot like 
stress that enough. And something I'll mention later brought that to my attention. But just imagine how many things you're good at that you hate doing. So I I didn't know that then, but I'm like, I'll be good at it. And that'll suffice because I'll be so good that it'll make me feel good. And and that's kind of where I was, what was motivating me to do that. Um, Yeah. So I started a two and a half year graduate program at Queens College for early elementary education in the fall of 2008. I stopped waitressing. I got my license, became a full, um, a full-time substitute teacher, substituting like four to five days a week. I subbed for two and a half years in 25 different schools throughout Queens, taking credit after credit, spending thousands after thousands, taking classes. Like I know some people have a really good experience in college, whether it's getting to express their independence or getting real life experience or whatever, but college never clicked for me. I, you know, I, it just wasn't the school experience that I was used to. Tell me what to do. I will do it. Like college was so up to me. of it felt bogus to me. I had no guidance. You know, it was always called higher education, but I once took a whole class on like how to share and how to promote kids sharing. And I just, so much of it felt theory and, and mindless chatter. Um, and just felt like a sham to me. Like, I don't know why it never felt like an enriching experience, but yeah. And I just felt like this was 10 or 15 years ago that I was taking these classes maybe a little less, but I feel like the whole climate of our culture at that time was a sham because it told you right after high school, go to college, like without any life experience. Like, I don't feel like that's a, a good linear track. I don't know. It you- definitely doesn't work for everyone. Like it is yeah. definitely not, um, like my sister took some time off between high school and college And it worked out so, so, so well for her. So by the time she did wind up going back and getting her undergrad degree, she was, it was, she was able to have the time and the life experience to make all of those decisions. Like she knew that she wanted to do marketing. She knew that she wanted to do business because she spent some time out in the real world and learned what those things were. And like, we talk about it a lot, um, Like, every time she comes to visit for Thanksgiving, like, Kristen, oh my god, like, if I went to college directly when I was 18, I never would have done those things. I think she went to community college uh, straight out of high school. Um, But she also worked, and, like, she worked at uh, the grocery store, and now she has a pension. My sister isn't even 30, and she has a pension. Like, how cool is that? That's, like, hashtag goals, if any... (laughs) Many hashtag goals. That's definitely one of them. But yeah, but I mean, like, it feels so good to hear you say that. Like, college is not for everyone. And although, again, I was good at it and a good student, I just, I know, my cat, we're laughing because my cat is like all up in my face, but that's what he does. He thinks he's part of these things. But yeah, it just, it, it didn't work for me the way that I thought it was promised to work. Like, I guess that's just the gist totally. of it. I, I did. Yeah. So, I mean, a few positive things came out of my college experience. I can't say that. Like, so during my undergrad, I felt, um, you know, I took photography courses and philosophy courses, which were like my two favorite subjects. And in essence, photography and philosophy are Instagram. It's <laughs> just like, the, if you were to sum up Instagram... Truth. Absolutely. It's like photography and philosophy. And I just feel like Instagram is such an integral part of now being a business person and promoting. And those classes let me know that I was attuned to that kind of thing, right? So 
that, you know, I love those classes, loved tapping into that part of myself. I took a psychology and even an acting class, which agents speaking and pitching and marketing, which I, again, found out later, I really love to do. Um, and then one of my classes in my grad program was a technology in the classroom class. So when I was studying to be a teacher, we had to, this class was all about talking about how to implement technology in the classroom. And the professor required us to create an account on Blogger and create a blog. And the purpose of that was to answer homework questions, continue discussions that we had in class, just be a forum that we could kind of look at what others are sharing outside of the classroom. And the idea of blogging started to interest me. And I remember cutting out an article on Heather Armstrong who that talked about her blog called Deuce, right? So deuce.com, we'll link to that in the show notes. But her blog, to me, was the first I ever really found out about. So I, I don't even know where I got this article, but it was just how she was making a living as a mom and sharing her experience. And um, it was her living, like her career, like the way she made money. And I always thought that is so interesting. I could probably do that. Like every, every kind of marker of what led me to something else was me seeing a woman do it saying, that's interesting. I could probably do that. So that was like the first time in blogging. I kind of really felt that, um, you know, cut to almost 10 years later, I do a form of that, but I'm, I ain't no professional blogger. Like, you know, I still consider myself, I've been blogging enough years where I say I am a blogger. I have been doing this thing, but it definitely is not my, you know, money stream. But um, in the aftermath of that technology in the classroom class, I did start my own blog called My 2010 is Here. I started it on Blogger, and the whole goal for it was just to see if I could write at least five days a week for a whole year in 2010. And I did, usually six or seven days a week, and it was I found out it was not only something I liked to do, but like I craved to do. Um, and I just knew I loved this medium. I was experimenting with this with expression and this idea that the content you could out you put out could instantly be received, even if only from one person that followed you. And that was really exciting. Um, I started to read other blogs, notably A Beautiful Mess. They were one of the biggest influencers in the beginning, still are today. They just paved the way, I think, in a lot of ways. And I just saw these crafty-ass females, again, paving their way, sharing ideas they came up with, inspiring other women through their words and crafts. And it was kind of this like green light for me at that time to share the things that I came up with. So during this college time and waitressing time, I started to develop this weird like seance hobby of cutting images out of magazines and creating notebooks and notebooks of collages, like stick paper onto page, um, like an outer body thing was calling me to do this. And I know we discussed like you used to do it on your wall mm-hmm. and how like, <laughs> I like that's almost like a teenage rite of passage to like Absolutely. curate these images um, that push you forward and make you more into identifying who you are kind of thing. And I think that's what that was about. And soon these blank notebooks became planner pages. I would go to Staples and just find this cute little, you know, agenda book. And I'd start to art journal and collage around the dates and the columns and plan what I decorated and decorated what I planned. And all this made zero sense um, at the time. It just felt like this weird secretive hobby. My mom used to walk by the door when I'd be in my room with all the paper spread out on the floor and she'd be like, what are you doing? Like, I don't know. Like, I just felt like it was this weird secret. Like when people saw it that I knew they were like, 
strangeness. <laughs> Did your like family ever see you craft and think you were cuckoo? <laughs> My mom was really into it. My mom and I did, uh, when I was, it was my senior year of high school. My mom and I taught a scrapbooking class at the local adult school. I love so it. She was re- she's always been really, really, really supportive of it. Um, yeah, my dad has that's always good. just been like, that's just, I've always done like just weird things. So he, he's yeah. always just been like, she's just, he just smiles and nods. That's Kristen. <laughs> That, yeah, no, that's absolutely it. Um, I love but it. Everyone but everyone else you can pick out some weird things your dad does. Like, that's the point. Like, we all have our weird. Oh, right, totally. Yeah, like, we all have our weird niche things. Outside of my parents, everyone thinks it's nuts. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's funny because my mom also, all growing up, very supportive of crafting and like living a creative life. But it was never something she thought, I think, would filter into my adulthood or what I would spend so much time on in my adulthood or even like want to pursue. Like, I think that's what it is. She, she doesn't knock art or think art is weird, but she just thought the amount of time and how it was coming out of me was weird, I guess. But totally. it was new. Like it was, it was kind of, I was discovering like this hands-on kind of therapy of crafting. Right. So, mm-hmm. so that was what was kind of happening. Um, uh, yeah. So I started doing this in planners Um and it all made no sense, but what it, it, you know, looking back, obviously it was forwarding, forwarding me toward, um, like it wasn't forwarding me toward a clear end at the time, but looking back now at what I've, my professional job has been the last few months, it was totally like setting me up to do that kind of work. Um, yeah, but I knew I enjoyed it. I knew I was inspired to do it and taking, you know, cue from the girls on a beautiful mess. I just started sharing this paper play on my then blog. It was just like, okay, well, these girls are making things and sharing. So I'm making things and sharing. So it was all this kind of organic follow by example, but in my own way, kind of way to do that. And little by little, this creative community of women, this crafty, like underbelly started revealing itself to me via the internet. And the more I blog, the more I wanted to read other blogs, the more I wanted to create original content. And this passion for this medium just kept growing. And then couple that with um, this time in my life in college where my mom and dad got divorced and my dad moved out and the space in the basement that used to be his office um, became a space for me to be my, to be my craft room. And I painted it pink and I did a whole like HGTV makeover on it. And, um, and now, and at that point then I had this designated space with, for this newfound passion. And what was funny is once I had a room to store and organize all the creative tools and accumulated craft supplies that I just had scattered, right? So like I would have some on my shelf and some under my bed and some. Once I took it and had a place to actually place it, that's when I realized how big like this creative part of me truly was because over the years I was actually cultivating it, but it was all spread out invisible. And then when I had this craft room, it was like, there it all is. Like, yeah. And here's a it's space amazing to do what it. organization and like seeing what everything, seeing everything out in the open and like what the possibility for combinations can be. Yes. And I think that's what 
that was. Like, again, here I am just going with the flow. This new room opened up and let me take advantage of it to it actually actualizing into the next step of me realizing, <laughs> like, I'm on this creative journey and I kind of like it and, you know, that kind of thing. So blog started, things I was making was being shared on it. This new craft room was stocked and it was all mine, but still I had no real concept of what I would do with all this energy. I just figured that it would be this beloved part of my life and I'd try to, you know, apply it to things whenever I could. It never dawned on me that it could be molded and crafted into a career. And I'll always, you know, I always thought it leaked it would leak into like parties I planned or letters I wrote people as it had up until this point. But, you know, so then I never just knew what to do with it. It was just going to be there always. Um, then in a blink after college, I get a job as a special education classroom teacher. I got it in my favorite school and all the schools I subbed in, you know, pat on the back, friends cheering, you know, finally you've arrived, you know, kind of feeling. Um, I was really excited about it. I was really passionate about it. I was, I loved the part of creating things to decorate for the room, right? I just thought it was going to be a big crafty party every day with the kids. Um, and I felt like, yeah, this is what I worked for. Like my actual career starting, it was going to be good. Like I would work hard, I'd get better. I'd be compensated for it. All the things surrounding my life would fall into place. And then I feel like the first true shock of my life, the real growing pain grown up that you feel when you grow up was, um, yeah, how I knew about two weeks into teaching that it was absolutely not going to be what I ended up doing for the rest of my life. And that, yeah, I knew two weeks in and, you know, I had the feeling and I was telling a few people about it. And of course people chalk it up to well, it's new. your first year. You're yeah. new. <laughs> yeah, but totally. when you know, yes. you know, especially when you're not like, you know, 22 anymore. Yes. And what was so funny, I thought, as my time as a teacher and not liking it went on, is that if teaching were a guy and I was as miserable with a guy as I was in this job, people would be like, leave him. You're miserable. Yes. Like, you're better yes. than this. Like, but because it's a job, because people know you've invested they want you to stick it out. Like they, their advice mm-hmm. is like, keep at it. Like it's really right. unreal. So, I mean, I kept at it because I didn't have any other idea of what to do. Totally. Um, yeah. So it was just another one of those things that lined up on paper with all this experience working with kids, with all my family being teachers, with me being good at this. Um, but in practice, it was just one of those puzzle pieces again, that looked like it could fit. But when you try to put it in the space, it just, didn't line up and you have to look for another puzzle piece. Um, yeah. So this was a few months in now, January, 2012. And you can kind of, if you don't like teaching, you can kind of ride it out until Christmas break hits because Christmas break is awesome. And even December is awesome because you get to Christmas crap with the kids and all that good stuff. You get this whole nice few chunks of days off and literally reality slaps you in the face as a teacher once you're back from that vacay because you don't get another one and it's cold, you know, where I live. And January mm-hmm. was this low, low point for me. So there was a lot of hot baths. There was a lot of time spent on my Oprah magazine. I remember praying. I remember asking, like, what do I do? Like, every fiber of my being was, what do I do? Like, I didn't have a clue. Um, and I 
feel after about two weeks of that of really, and I was scrapbooking as well, these feelings, that's what you do. It just came out via paper, me crying, me art journaling tears, me, you know, that's how we express it. Um, and I feel like that's a bit of prayer too. I mean, I'm sure we totally. can just go into it. So for me, that calling to the universe was answered a little bit by um, an article in one of the Oprah magazines I was reading in the bathtub, actually. And uh, it was called The Man Who Knows What Works at Work. And his name is Marcus Buckingham. And since that article, I know he's built a whole company based on um, career advice and helping people find what works for them at work. He was the first career guru. Now, like everyone and their mother is a career guru and a branding expert and kind of thing. And back then, I really hadn't heard of that title and being the fact that Oprah knew him. And I just read this article top to bottom. It spoke to exactly what I was going through and then found out he taught like an eight video course for free on Oprah.com. And I watched all those start to finish. And uh, I'll definitely link to that in the show notes. But he talked about strengths and weaknesses and not as qualities. Like people usually say, oh, I'm strong and um, I'm very patient or whatever. But he talked about strengths and weaknesses as activities. Like what activities during your day, during your work, make you feel strong, give you strength, make you feel weak, give you weak. It was so interesting for me to think about activities as strengths and weaknesses. And that's what I did. And he gave you this whole exercise as to like minutely go through your day and be specific as to what strengthens you and what weakens you. And what I was finding out is the times that I got to just talk to the kids was strengthening. And I didn't necessarily like to have to feed them textbook stuff. And and um, I didn't really like parent-teacher conferences or, or having to put the kids into a box, you know, of like, mm-hmm. explanation. I just liked, you know, influencing them kind of and, and bouncing off one another. Um, that was my favorite part of teaching, but that ended up being through this exercise, like 5% of the job I realized. And what I was really getting energized from and strengthened from during my day was the after work time when I would come home, go in my craft room, blog a little bit, craft a little bit, make a little bit, talk to these guys. So I was finding out that those were the strengthening things that I was forcing myself to like participate in because I was feeling so weak at work kind of thing. So. Totally. Yeah. And so while that transformation via this man's um, workshop was happening, at the same time, I was on Instagram, I was learning that, you know, new app that was catching on like wildfire. And in this same January, when I was asking myself what was next, finding this guy's workshop, I stumble upon CHA, which was the Craft and Hobby Association. It, It was their trade show they were having at the time. Now I believe it's called Creativation. They changed the name on yeah. it. I will link to that so you can find out more about that. But via Amy Tan, who's known as Amy Tangerine in the crafting world, via her account and just watching her set up her booth and working the show and all this product she designed behind her that was inspirational and and cute and fun and added so much to my life. I, it was like a bolt of lightning and I knew like I would have been so confused and so unclear all this time. But when I saw that show, I 
all the clouds opened up and I was so clear that that was where I belonged. And not just because of my love of crafting and wanting to just attend and like get to fan out, but because I knew again, like I thought that was interesting and I probably could do that. Like it was another one of those feelings that I could do that. And, um, yeah, like I wanted to work the show. I wanted to share my ideas, influence other crafty ass females like myself. And this became new fuel. So this was a new career, like a new career dream started to form that wasn't there before. So yeah, so getting back to teaching. So I finished my first year teaching. I spent um, the summer after my first year working on projects, letting this embryo of a new career vision kind of cook. And on one trip to Barnes and Noble, I think it was like a week before the new school year was supposed to start, um, I was flipping through a magazine when I flipped to an advertisement, literally just like flip, 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 open. Um, this advertisement opened up and it read, learn graphic design fast. And it was advertising a graphic design school in New York City, right across the street from Grand Central Station. It was called Shillington Graphic Design, uh, Shillington School of Graphic Design. I'll totally link to it. And it was one of the first, and on the first day of school, you know, my second year as a teacher, I got out at dismissal. I went to the city to this open house and the seed was officially planted. I, you know, was soaking up everything they had to say at the open house. It seemed like the most perfect program for me. Um, Yeah. And I spent my second year as a teacher um, you know, knowing that it wasn't the thing with this other option of this school waiting for me at the end of the year. You know, I never told anyone the whole school year except my parents and people who knew I was probably going to make the change. But um, yeah, I only told people at school and my principal that June when they were making up classes for the following year. So I kind of dropped that bomb. Um, but yeah, so after two years as a classroom teacher, I left and in September of 2013, I started um, full-time, Monday through Friday, 9 to 5, at this graphic design school. Um, and weirdly enough, it ended up, I, you know, I didn't know when I went to the open house, but after being there day after day, I looked around. It was the same building and the same floor as that original magazine internship I had. Isn't that weird? Like years earlier when I got out of like film school and I had that weird internship that was like the coffee and sending me out. It was the same floor. That's crazy. <laughs> it's weird. I know. It was just weird how that happened. I was like, I think because, and even someone in my class was also at that magazine. Like it was weird. And they, they looked familiar and I was like, oh, and they're like, yeah, this was that magazine. Anyway, it was just like so weird how it was the same and it looked familiar, but wow. it was a totally different thing. It was weird. It was, it's just, it's one of those things that's like. Well, maybe that was a sign, like, that I'm yeah, on the no, right totally. track. Like, just very strange. But, yeah, so, um, yeah, so I spent three full months in that school. I was the first to arrive, the last to leave. I was soaking up every minute because, to me, unlike, quote, unquote, the higher education college experience that I had up until this school – Every piece of knowledge that the teacher was giving me in this program was something that I had to learn, like something I could use. It was not really too much theory. It was all practice. I think that's called like a technical school, but I didn't know this. Then. <laughs> like people know these things. I just legit did not know this. And this was blowing my mind. Like, wait, I could go to a school that just taught me what I needed to know. Like, that's amazing. Anyway, so I'm a big advocate 
advocate for that, like trying to find cheaper options. And if you know what you want to pursue, like shorter time colleges, that'll just give you skills for anything really. Like that's what I'm an advocate of. I don't know. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. So this technical school was blowing my mind um, and it resulted in a portfolio at the end. It was something I could show potential employers. And, you know, while I was in this school, again, this was the right move, a great option. I felt good. It was on track, but I still didn't know how it was going to materialize. I kept looking around for, again, like this innate conditioning of who's going to tell me what to do next and who's going to tell me, you know, so I, I, I thought in my mind that I would probably work at a little hipster design studio, making logos, helping brand companies. I had, I saw, um, online, I came across women that I thought, Oh, that's interesting. Maybe I can do that where they would uh, design websites kind of freelance. I thought maybe that would be something in design I could do to help uh, other people design their blogs or websites. Um, and I remember this pivotal moment in school when I had like only a couple of weeks left and I was looking around, you know, at my, uh, classmates, some of which were 18 and just trying this out. And, you know, and part of me wished that I found this school at 18 too, but I also think being there after the experience I had was more telling. So I always say that too. I go, gosh, I wish I found this school earlier and pursued this earlier but my experience thus far, like you can't discredit that. Right. So, so yes. So I, so I looked around and I really desperately needed this program to work for me and amount to a job. So I remember raising my hand and asking my teacher, like, where do I apply to? Like, this has to work for me. Like, how do I guarantee that where I apply, someone's going to pick me up and that this is going to actually create a career for me. And he just looked at me and like shrugged his shoulders. and was like a player apply where you want to work, even if there's no opening, because, you know, just even if they don't need you, then they might call you back after just apply like a mad person to places you think you would want to work at places that interest you. And that always stuck with me because I probably never would have did that <laughs> if he didn't say, because I totally. just, uh, yeah, to me, he was the authority figure giving me permission to just apply. Right. And that was all, that was like the word that stuck with me just apply. Um, yeah. So when I graduated, that's exactly what I did. I applied to every scrapbooking company. So, you know, because again, Amy Tangerine was that, goal, right? And I knew she worked for scrapbooking companies with graphic design. I now had graphic design background and I wanted to work for a scrapbook company. So yeah, I went on scrapbook.com. Every single scrapbooking company they had listed, I applied to. Um, American Crafts being the big one, they actually had a job opening that wanted the person to move to Utah. And I was like all ready to uproot, but they didn't go for me. Um, thank God now. <laughs> um, yeah. And then just apply, apply, apply. And then one February morning, I emailed, we are memory keepers. They emailed me back. And in two hours, um, they emailed me back in two hours from that initial email. And by the end of the week, they hired me to work from home to design and innovate product. And I was doing it for a little less than I was making as a teacher. So like, cha-ching, like hit the jackpot, like less than two months out of this graphic design school that I just felt like I needed to pursue on a whim. It was crazy. Um, yeah. And so with We Are, I created two paper lines, 
called It Factor and Love Notes. And even though this was like the job, like the exact one I wanted, I'm doing what Amy Tangerine was doing. It was literally the hardest four months of my life. Firstly, there was a big learning curve. Like I knew and I had technical knowledge from this school, but nowhere near the realms of what I needed to make all these design kind of like elevations and leveling up of like to make a product. So thank God the product developer was worked with me with that and like had me fly to Utah to be in the office to see how the other designers were doing it. Like they really took care of me in that way, which I was grateful for, but it was still crazy hard, a lot to learn. And then secondly, there was like a lot of heaviness in my personal life. My boyfriend and I were on and off again. He moved to Texas. Are we together? Are we not? There was a lot of that going on. And thirdly, even though, you know, um, I carved this life that I wanted and it was the job and I looked around and was like, holy crap, like I am doing the Amy Tangerine route. I still didn't feel like Amy Tangerine. Like I still was waiting. And and we talked about this a little bit where like I found out that's kind of called the arrival fallacy. And I first heard that from Gretchen Rubin in her podcast where you think if you arrive at a place, like all will be even keel and all will be answered and it will just feel good from there on out and feel right from there on out. And that's kind of what that job was, where it was the job. I got it right out the gate and I was doing what I envisioned myself doing. But here I was arrived at it and it still was hard. Like it wasn't a walk in the park and it was So that I was experiencing that and that came out of nowhere, coupled with all the personal stuff I had going on, but it was a hard four months. But in the four months, I cranked out two paper lines. I got the physical representation of what I designed in the mail in my hands. I smelled them. I had my moments with them, like whatever. That's what us crazy designers do. Um, Seeing them in the flesh was like unbelievable to me. And then the following Monday, after having you know this emotional experience with the, my physical products, I knew that if I got through those four months and making these two paper lines and all this craziness, that um, yeah, that I would be able to do the next assignment, whatever it was. So when my my boss had called me, I was like revved up, and I was like, "Here we go! What's the next thing?" And what he ended up telling me on that call was that we are memory keepers got bought out by American Crafts and my position in my bedroom designing paper was no longer needed and it was another big blow, but it is what it is. And so I spent um, summer 2014 back to looking for work, but this time I had two paper lines under my belt and that's kind of where I was in the summer 2014. Now, It's kind of worth it to kind of flash back and remind you that during all this quitting teaching and design school and we are memory keeping and designing, I was crafting in that pink craft room and sharing it and forming connections and learning about people in the industry and getting them to learn about me and attending my first workshop in New York City, which is actually where I met you. (laughs) So yeah, like all this stuff was happening. And for me, Kelly Perky, we went to... we did a Kelly Perky workshop. We did do a Kelly Perky workshop. It was, um, she had, was it like, I'm trying to think of the exact product. She, it was like a bound book. Yeah. She used one of the, it was like the first studio Calico. I think they were the studio Calico handbooks before they made them into actual albums. And they were just, it was chipboard paper with like grid, like notebook paper inside. And we made like 
art journals because they it was with the ink pad and the ink pad's more of like a stamping mixed media shop than it is a scrapbook shop. And I remember being exposed to misting. That was a new like yeah. technique. Remember she she was big on that, Kelly, and back in the day, like she would. Yeah, and there were so many stencils. Yeah. So, but again, I was like, you know, I met you. I met these other girls around me that wanted to spend their Saturday driving to the city to take this workshop. It was unbelievable to me. I don't know how early on you tapped into that. You might have tapped into it earlier than I was. I did, but it was blew my mind. <laughs> so yeah, yeah that so was one of my oh man, last crazy. things that I did before moving to Michigan was take that Kelly Perky class. Um, I conned my parents into driving me into the city. <laughs> my dad drove me. <laughs> That's what they're for. <laughs> yeah, right? Daddy, will you please take me into the city today? It works whether you're 10 or 25. Yeah. <laughs> we got, uh, I believe we got Cat's Deli that day too. That was a good uh, score. <laughs> pastrami from Cat's Deli is a good reason to get my dad to do anything. So. <laughs> yeah, I can usually get my mom to do it if we promise her uh, Magnolia Bakery cupcakes. Ooh, yes. Yes. The hummingbird. You ever try that one? Yes. Oh, my God. <laughs> Their birthday the cake. Cupcake. Their birthday cake is like, for some reason, it's just the best thing in the entire world. And I don't even understand. Uh-huh. And I just want a slice of that all the time. That's got to be my next one. But yeah, so... That's kind of where I was, like doing all this behind the scenes craft work, expanding my connection base, networking and all that. To me, Kelly Perky was like another Amy Tangerine, just these women that were professional designers, creators, memory keepers, influencers with product. And that's what I was finding out like I wanted to be. I wanted to be not just a designer, but maybe a designer with product for a company. And that vision started becoming more clear. Um And then along those lines, with all this craft room play and tapping into these women, I discovered Erin Condren and her planner. And that was a transformative, you know, discovery for me as well, because I remember, so remember how I told you I did all those paper crafting in my planner, like back then, like I would go to Staples and find it. Well, when I found Erin, she had already cultivated this community around the life planner. And that's kind of what I hadn't seen up until then, where I saw crafting communities and people that use product from a bunch of different places and, and do their own techniques and teach their own techniques. But I never saw up until her, literally the community around one product. And I think that's what I thought was so remarkable because Erin, since the beginning, she still does it now, has a really like phenomenal way of making her customers feel like if you own her planner, it will help you own your life. Like that's what I thought. I thought if I had this, I would be smiling, jumping, riding my bike with it. Like I just, it was like a Disney movie with this planner in my hand, in my head and something just clicked. So and for those of you who don't know, when you order um, an Erin Condren Life Planner, it's like a, it's made with a heavy metal spiral. It's customizable, so it takes two weeks to ship, or sometimes even three. So, it, you you wait a long time for this product that you think is going to change your life. And I remember in the process of waiting for it to ship, I would go to sleep just dreaming about that planner, like what I'd put in it, how it'd make me feel, and that had never happened to me before. I've never had dreams about like craft supplies, not even like the lines that I designed for We Are Memory Keepers. But 
yeah, so when I finally received it, um, I started planning in it, obviously, but then I would go back and I would layer photos that I printed at home on top of it. And that was my first experience with memory keeping in a planner. And it was a relatively new concept. I had seen one person do it um, on Instagram, just place a, a photo down. And again, like, that's so interesting. I could probably do that, like, and that feeling again. And I just started doing that out of habit. So I would write my plans in my planner, you know, the week before the week happened. And then the week after that week had passed, I would go back and just tape right over those plans um, photos and it became a bit of a memory book. Um, yeah, so that was kind of a new concept. Now it's, it's become a term, like they call it memory planning. But back then, um, it was new and I was doing this in my planner. I was creating, I was sharing it on my blog. I was pinning it on Pinterest. And that summer that I had lost the job with, we are looking for other jobs while I was out there looking for jobs. Little did I know Stephanie Fleming of Me and My Big Ideas um, had found my Erin Condren life planner and my pages that I was posting on Pinterest. And then because Me and My Big Ideas was one of the companies that I applied to, she knew she recognized my name but didn't know from where. And then when it clicked that I was the person applying, that also um, she had saved and pinned to her Pinterest who was doing these things in the planner she had called me. And when I applied for the job with me and my big ideas, I applied to be a designer. I wanted to design, to design product and come up with a new product, just like I was doing for We Are. But the only thing she had an opening for was uh, the social media coordinator position. And I decided to take it. It was still, I figured it was still in the industry. It was still going to get me um, exposure. And I wasn't going to have to take like another desk job in a different kind of career. I felt like it was still on track. Um, so I took it and she flew me out to California and my first day on the job in the office, she just turned to me and said, so we're going to be making a planner just like that. She's very like upbeat and peppy <laughs> and she just goes, so we're going to be making a planner, that kind of thing. And fast forward to like the powerhouse industry leader that the happy planner has become. It's like unbelievable. But when I started me and my big ideas was still strictly scrapbooking paper, DIY crafts, stickers. They had a blog and it was, my job was mainly to, um, to show people and come up with content and projects. And so I was basically crafting professionally. Um, and that was okay with me. And then totally. um, the motto of the company is live creatively. So my job is basically to inspire others to do that with product. And again, it was another eye opening experience of like, centering around product. Like how do I bring people together based on how to use a product? So this was all good learning for me. Um, and the job was so right on so many levels. I'm so grateful because it came at a time when I needed to be flexible. So once I got that job, I moved to Texas to try and be with my then boyfriend and give it our last go round. Um, but I still needed to grow my skill level and career and I, it allowed me to work remotely and get used to working from home and what that felt like um, and remotely managing a team of creatives. I managed uh, the design team, which was all new. And again, every interaction with them was still mind-blowing to me because there were women around this country that did what I did and loved what I did. And we were talking almost every day. So it was a great job for a lot of reasons. So grateful for it. Um, and what was also great was that job got me to CHA just like I had wanted to three years earlier and 
all that wishing and hoping and manifesting manifested into this job, no doubt about it, and getting me there in uh, January of 2015. Um, and that's where the Happy Planner debuted. And then I inspired others how to use it first on the Me and My Big Ideas Instagram. And then we created a Happy Planner Instagram. And all this time I was honing my memory planning and even creating a class for Big Picture came about. And it's called Memory Keeping and the Happy Planner. Because at the end of 2016, I had gotten so good at this thing that I started doing with Erin Condren in the Happy Planner, just as part of my job, that I ended up having these bunch of techniques and bunch of tips that people were always asking me for that I thought I could share. And so that class just naturally came about. I'm just, that my blood and sweat and tears went into that class. Just like crazy. I always wanted to teach an online class. Again, something I saw Amy Tangerine and Kelly Perky do. So that opportunity was like a dream come true. And I'm just really happy that that happened. And then, um, yeah, as the Happy Planner audience was growing and I was highlighting other planner babes, I was learning about this, like why, like the reasons this product was catching on so rapidly and how growing, growing a community around it, like Erin did, like I was doing with this, was a great part of what made it successful. So the Happy Planner became like a club anyone could be a member of. And I like that um, I fostered this part of how inclusive it was. Like that's my, that's what I think this podcast is going to be. And like, that's basically, I think with my underlying core messages, like let's all craft together. Like it just makes me super happy when a group of us are doing this thing. Um, yeah. So what also, so as our popularity grew, so did our appearance at conferences and trade shows. And we went to CHI, got to work CHA three times. We went to Pinner's conference and, um, yeah, what I was discovering is that I'm really good at these conferences. Like I love my home alone work time and I need to have that, but I also thrive on these business trips where I educate new customers and I convince current, you know, current customers to stay and, and, uh, get companies interested in this product. So I like love trade shows and I hope that's a big part of my future. I could totally see that, but yeah, so the growth of the Happy Planner was just like exponential. Um, 100,000 followers we hit a little over our first year on Instagram. And then in a few months after that, we hit 200,000 just, we call them planner babes, just adopting the product and wanting to share and just being a part of this community. And it was really this year that I kind of felt around that time that I was reaching the peak of what I could offer within the company. So much good marketing experience and exposure um, came out of this job. And I met and worked with so many amazing women, but I feel like I'm a designer at heart and I have my own ideas for products and whatnot. And, and there's only so much marketing I could do for another product I felt at that point. And then I felt like all the marketing I really could do was done. Like I, I allowed the community to kind of grow and flourish. And I just feel like my time there was done. And um, yeah, so this summer, it was unexpected though, because I thought that I would be with the company well into 2018. But this summer, um, around the, every, the end of spring, just like every fiber in my being knew it was time to go. And we left, I left really amicable terms and they're rocking it. But yeah, so I've been on my own path since June 9th, which was my official last day. And um, I spent the summer off social media just taking this crazy hiatus, trying to come up with like what my comeback into my own would kind of feel like if I hadn't thought about that for two and a half years. 
And uh, yeah, I think the social media hiatus too was because I literally had not been off any kind of social media because it was my job for two and a half years, like, like three times a day, like never not thinking of a caption or what to post. (laughs) And as much fun as that was, it's draining. It's draining. Yes. And it's, it's, uh, you need to disconnect to be able to come back in a way that is fresh. Otherwise I would have just been on that same wavelength of what I was doing for them. Mm-hmm. And you wouldn't have been like you and authentic and like Amanda, you'd have been yeah. like me and my big ideas, Amanda, not mm-hmm. Amanda Rose. Right. Totally. And I did, again, so much of my story is me not knowing that then not me being able not to vocalize that was the reason then, but it was totally the reason because looking back, I was so much more ready to jump into what I needed to jump in. Yeah. So I've been, so in September, I spent the whole summer just trying to come up with stuff. What did I innately want to work on? That's the only question I asked myself, not what's going to make me money or what's my next big thing. It was just how am I going to try to create again in a way that is me and original and all that stuff? So my website, you know, did I don't like to say launch. I called it a start party. Like it launched in September just because it was made public, but I didn't feel like I had anything to launch again. Like I thought maybe I would like a new product or a new idea or, you know, the website just kind of started in September, which I think is okay. Absolutely. And, yeah, I mean, we put pressure on ourselves to launch, I think. Again, like... And we're just, just, like, single people doing, like, things. And we don't have giant companies and, like, tech people to edit and back up and, like, check every single thing to make sure that, like, we're launch ready. We're not NASA. <laughs> I love that line. We're not NASA. That has to be a pull quote that I designed. <laughs> but you're so right. But again, I think this all... It all plays into uh, this thing that I hope during this podcast I could get over a little bit, which is my constant need for authority to tell me, to fill me in on what I already know, I guess. Totally. Yeah. So I just, that's a big issue with me, but yeah, so I've been excited to create and share and reconnect, but I've been putting a lot of pressure on myself to do it or do it like so-and-so or these, again, like you said, these big companies that have teams like you know how you want to be portrayed, but you only have so many resources at your fingertips to portray yourself like that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And again, like you said, like we're a one woman show. I'm in feelers pursuit of my next creative opportunity, but I'm going to be inconsistent and things get hectic and I only sort of have an editorial calendar. And yeah, so all that just wraps up into what's been going on with me. And it's been a lot of experimenting, like tons and tons and tons. Um, and I just tapped into like, close my eyes and say, what do you want to make in this moment? And none of it's been for money. Um, but when I consider the work I've been doing, like I do call it work, you know, it's been, um, I've been updating and maintaining my website. I've been writing via my blog and via the newsletter, which is a new medium to me as well. And it's all this, this big grand experimentation. Printables have been really in my mind. I've, I feel like that's the what's always been in me to create and just get out like a few bunch of things to help women memory keep or plan. Um, uh, most specifically obsessed with the show, this is us, right? So I <laughs> kind of put it on myself to 
each week design just a blast of printables based off the show that if you love the show, you can memory keep the show. And I thought it was so cute how right before I ever publicly said I was going to do that, you were doing a Game of Thrones like documentation. And I just thought it was so, I was like, TV documenting is a thing or Mm -hmm. it will become a thing because we, because we're doing it. We're doing it. And when you don't have kids, then it's a big part of your life. Like, even when you do have kids, like, what you watch is a big part right, of your life. Right, totally. Yeah, just like what you read. Like, And I, I've been coming to that conclusion. I recently called my weekly This Is Us kind of chat like a book club meeting. But we don't view book club meetings as, like, strange or weird People are like, yeah, book club, like, that makes sense. Why can't TV club make sense? It totally, like, when I have, like, when I talk to my dad on the phone, what do we talk about? We talk about the TV we watch, and we talk about the sports that happened. Like, that's what we talk about. And same thing with, like, you know, a couple of the other people that I don't, you know, talk to every day. We have our TV that we catch up with. Maybe it's Game of Thrones, maybe it's something else, but, like... TV is such a unifying thing and it's such a, such a big part of our lives in like such an individual way and such a collective way that documenting it from your perspective, it's, it's important. It's not just this throwaway thing. It's, it's true. And it's because I think just like any other experience, whether it be a job or a relationship or whatever, it's content you're consuming. It's info you're consuming. And Mm -hmm. so to document it or write about it or whatever you do, craft on it, it's you filtering what you're consuming, which is what memory keeping is. So yeah, I've been learning. But again, it's all this been this experimentation. It came authentically out of I want to start designing again. I want to do it in weekly blasts. And I love this show. And like those three things combined just kind of made it into this thing. And it's been teaching me a lot about colors and reminding me about coordination and and shapes and repetition. Like all the design principles I learned in school are coming back up through this practice. So again, like it's been the thing I've been working on without it actually being work that's been bringing in money, but it's been such good work. If any of that all makes that's sense. awesome. Yeah. So a hundred percent sense for sure. So I've been really proud of that. And that's been one project. And then I have to say like being from the planner community, these planner strips that I've been making mm-hmm. have totally really been resonating, but I knew because most of my audience are the girls that followed me from the happy planner and these plannerships came about because, again, it was just my design brain working where I knew I needed lines. The happy planner is blank. Um, it usually has blank columns and stuff. And it was just something I made way back when, not intending to share with anyone, but knowing I needed. And just, again, wanting to still, without being part of the happy planner's team anymore, wanting to still contribute to this community that I love so much, and thinking, well, I use this, so maybe they'll want to use this and it's totally. helped me, so maybe it'll help them. And again, what I've been learning about myself too is these manageable chunks of things. Like if I blast just one color once a month, I can handle that. <laughs> and yeah, so 
whereas the weekly This Is Us printables have been working. And I know that there's only a season for that. You know, I do get a break in December, the show's off. And then my planner strips only being once a month, I know that I can handle that. Yeah, so that's kind of the projects I've been working on. Now, all these are for no money. And this podcast is another creative experiment that I was compelled to try. And I'm so grateful that you agreed to work with me on it. But it's all been been these things that I'm trying. And as much as I know it's been good, my concern, I wanted to kind of talk about this with you too, is I came across this quote on Instagram. This is what it says. It says, A woodpecker can tap 20 times on a thousand trees and get nowhere but stay busy, or she can tap on 20, or she can tap 20,000 times on one tree and get dinner. So a woodpecker can tap 20 times on a thousand trees and get nowhere but stay busy, or she can tap on 20,000, or she can tap 20,000 times on one tree and get dinner. So I feel like I've been tapping on too many trees, maybe? It's yeah, but concern. think of all the things you've learned. Think of all the places you've been and like think of all the things that you've you're circling in so many like great places that like you're going to get to you're on the right track to making like money. Like you are putting yourself out there in a way that is doing work that is going to bring in an income. Like you could just as easily start tomorrow on like, you know, a big e-course teaching, you know, whatever it is you want. And you will use every single thing that you've learned in the last six weeks, in the last six months. And all of that will be a part of what you need to use in order to generate any type of money going forward. You're going to take every single piece of information that you've learned and use it like that woodpecker sure she can knock on all of those trees but she needs to learn how to knock on the trees like and if she spends all of that time knocking on like a dead tree and that tree is like infested with like you know whatever like poisonous wood then she's just gonna die and that would be terrible like so you know you have to peck on trees 20 times to make sure they're they're not poisonous and that's true (laughs) there's a lot of places that you have to try and make sure that they're the right thing to do before you jump head first in and decide that you're going to devote like 10,000 hours to this thing because I mean we've both done a lot of things that have not been the one thing for us so true and I think that the fact that I'm aware and can interpret that metaphor is a good thing because then you can always kind of check in on yourself and say, am I just being busy and not getting anywhere? And I think that's what part of makes us, again, the title of this podcast, like crafty as females, like that's what we do. We're super self-aware. And I just feel like there's a lot of conflicting messages everywhere in life. So something like that could say, stick to one thing And if you take it so much to heart, like everywhere you look, there's a motivational quote. But when you really look at all the motivational quotes, they contradict each other. Absolutely. Like, relax, relax, hustle, hustle, hustle. Like, you, yeah, in any given moment, you have to choose the one that fits for you. Mm -hmm. And right now, I just think what I've been doing and all this experimentation has been fitting for me. Although I know it cannot last forever. 
Totally. And yeah, so I think I'm at peace with that. And, um, and maybe next year, like I can spend more time focusing on projects that might give me a little more return on time investment. But like, I just quit the job in summer. Like, I feel like we do that to ourselves as women too. Like what's next, what's next again, that like arrival fallacy of like, whatever's next will be the answer. And we just have to cut ourselves a break. (laughs) Absolutely. And with Thanksgiving and Christmas and New Year's, Mm -hmm. like it's, it's impossible to try to pull anything together new right now and launch it any time before New Year's. Like, Girl, so true. And I think that because again, like working for a company and seeing what's around, you know, people are already prepped for this upcoming holiday. But as a person who wants to contribute content, you almost feel pressured that you also have to be. But when you don't have a steady routine or work or anything that could set you up for that, there's no way you can contribute. I'm sorry. Just, you know, like in a profitable way anyway, of course you can contribute. Yeah. But I'm all, I'm all learning this. So yeah, but that's kind of the story. That's kind of where I'm at. My blurb in the beginning still rings true that I feel at this point, my purpose is to create art that people can use. I'm really, I've been um, working behind the scenes on a product of my own. That's literally been in my head for four or five years. It came about when I was teaching I created it while in the classroom and while through all that transitioning into my classroom and craft room and all that stuff, it kind of came about. I even thought maybe sometimes of uh, pitching it to Stephanie and maybe having me and my big ideas create it, but that never happened just based on how much momentum the happy planner got and getting wrapped on that. It was never the right time. So just leaving and spending these last few months behind the scenes, just designing that product and really trying to vision what that would look like into the world, I've been focusing a lot of attention on that. I'm still in the prototyping stages of it, but I think once I get a physical representation of it and spend a little time to try to market it and figure out how I could sell it, that it will do well. Like At least that's what I'm hoping, but that's kind of what I've been working on behind the scenes. And then just for complete transparency, um, to make money that I haven't been making through all this experimentation, I've been waitressing. I'm back waitressing at a restaurant right two blocks from me, two minutes, so I can work on all this stuff during the day, do this kind of podcasting with you, figure out where I want to go next to try and make money in this creative field that we're carving out for ourselves. And then most nights, um, serving spaghetti and meatballs, (laughs) but it's all okay. I'm really at peace with it. And I'm so thankful for that as well, just to be able to help me live. And there's, um, I'm totally going to link to, I don't know if you ever saw, maybe you did, but, um, Elizabeth Gilbert on her Facebook page wrote this whole long Facebook post that legit could have been a book. Like she could have probably, she probably is making it a book, but she distinguished between a hobby a job, a career, and a vocation. And she talked about how all four of those are so different and that some people just have jobs because their vocation is being with their children. And so the job allows them to practice this vocation. Some people's careers are tied into their vocation. And like the way that she put it, I was like, yes, those are the words to what I'm going through because I feel like my career and my vocation is this, you know, creating art people can use and, and, 
contributing in that way. But the job that I have now to help me do that is this waitressing and, totally. and the hobby it would be dancing because that I don't expect any money from that. So I'm learning where these parts of my life all kind of work together. Absolutely. And that's been super groundbreaking for me because it calms me down. I don't worry that I'm all over the place because each thing that I'm doing has its own reason. I think that's amazing. Yeah. So in my blurb that says I'm a graphic designer and lifestyle blogger, you know, who wants to make art people can use totally true. Although some of that is not bringing in money. If it makes it sound like it is now, you know what is, Totally. <laughs> but yeah, I just feel like it's important to be transparent because if you say you're a lifestyle blogger is your only profession, right, your only <laughs> means of money. Yes. Yes. We are all in this together and totally like the fact that we're talking about it even yeah. to me again is like right on honey cheers to that seriously yeah so that's my story and i'm sticking to it awesome <laughs> yeah well baby you listened to that whole episode kudos to you thanks so much for tuning in that was the story of my creative journey and in the next episode it's Kristen's turn you can find me and Kristen and more episodes at craftyassfemale.com please remember to like and subscribe <laughs>